What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So tonight is the return of Chris Sale to the mound for the Red Sox, who'll be getting the start for the Sox tonight. Big return from the Sox. have been waiting for Chris Sale to get healthy now for two months and more now to see him back on the field. So to be excited to see him back on the mound, he's coming back at the right time for the Red Sox, even though it might be too little too late. In some people's eyes, the Red Sox are still in the mix of the AL Wildcard race right now. They're four games back of Toronto. They just took three or four against Kansas City. They needed three or four in that series. The Sox currently sit at 60 and 55 on the season, four games back of Toronto, as I said, for the last Wildcard spot. Toronto has to play three games this weekend against the Chicago Cubs. Hopefully the Cubs can take two of three in that series there against Toronto. And if the Red Sox can take two of three against Detroit, or maybe even three of three against Detroit, they could gain a game or two on Toronto this weekend. We'll see what obviously happens in that series between the Cubs and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox and the Tigers. As for the Sox, they have been cold as of late. Luckily, they did just take three or four games against Kansas City, a team that's been struggling all year. But overall, in the last 20 games, the Red Sox are 9-11 in the last 20. So nine wins, 11 losses. They've had a tough stretch over the last 20. It's not really the best time of year to go cold. But there is still time for the Red Sox to make up ground, especially with more reinforcements coming. And one of those being Chris Sale, like I mentioned. Sale on the air is a 5-2 record with a 4.58 ERA, 71 strikeouts at 59 innings pitched. And his last six starts before getting hurt, he was back to the Chris Sale of old. A 2.25 ERA in those six starts with a 4-0 record, four wins, no losses, 41 strikeouts to five walks and 36 innings pitched with a 191 opponent batting average. He was back to the Chris Sale of old in those starts, and even though you really can't expect him to always stay healthy, and that's something that the fans always mention on Boston Sports Radio, and obviously a lot of analysts always mention, you can't expect anything of Chris Sale. You can't expect him to stay healthy. You can't expect him to stay on the mound for a full season. We don't really need a full season out of Chris Sale right now. We need just a solid two months out of him, like he was looking like in those six starts. Help the Red Sox try to make a run in the AR Wildcard race. I think Chris Sale will be good tonight. He's probably going to go four or five innings. He's not going to go long. But get him back on the mound, get him acclimated to pitching again in the major leagues. That'll be big for the Red Sox in their postseason push towards the end of the season. One thing that's been great for the Red Sox over the last few weeks is Pablo Reyes. And he's been unreal at the plate. He's raised his batting average to 330 on the year. In his last nine games, so in the second half since the All-Star break, he's played in nine games, has a 409 batting average in those nine games with a 1095 OPS, a home run and four runs batted in. He's looked awesome at the plate. He's earned himself the role as the second baseman for the Red Sox with how well he's played as of late. With that being said, though, he's played well kind of all season at the plate. He was hitting 303 in the first half, so it wasn't like he was playing poor before the All-Star break. He was still doing pretty well. Obviously, 303 for batting air, for backup second baseman and backup shortstop. You'll take that all day. 303 in the first half, and now he's hitting 409 in the second half with a 330 batting average overall in the season. Good to see that, obviously, for Pablo Reyes, who obviously had a big last week. He had a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam for the Red Sox on Monday night against Kansas City, which was a huge way for the Red Sox to get themselves back on track after a cold stretch. Having a walk-off win, especially in the fashion that Pablo Reyes did it in, that was obviously huge. If you look at Pablo Reyes' monster game from Monday night, that was the reason that the Red Sox ended up choosing to DFA Yu Chang instead of Pablo Reyes. It was between Reyes and Chang for the last spot when Trevor Story was activated. And the Red Sox chose to designate Yu Chang for assignment rather than Pablo Reyes. And Reyes saved his job on Monday night when he became the first player in MLB history, according to Optus Stats on Twitter. He became the first player in MLB history to have three hits in a game, three-plus hits, scored three-plus runs, have multiple extra base hits, steal a base, and hit a walk-off grand slam. Monster game there on Monday night. For Reyes, and that ends up being the reason that the Red Sox DFA'd Yu Chang. Yu Chang, though, was outright, though, to Worcester after he cleared waivers. The same thing with Christian Arroyo as well. 
They will certainly be called up, I'm sure, in September when the rosters expand. Now they'll be in Worcester and helping them out for the next few weeks before the Red Sox need them back in September when they make that postseason push when the rosters expand. Maybe if somebody gets hurt before then, one of those two guys is back earlier than that. So for the Red Sox, they host a three-game series this weekend against the Detroit Tigers. They need to win all three games, honestly, but I take two of three. If the Red Sox can take two of three in the series, that would still be a win. The Tigers are 52-63 and on the year, 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games played. They did just take three of four against Minnesota in their last series. Tarek Skubal will be starting tonight for the Detroit Tigers, a 26-year-old left-handed pitcher who holds a 2-1 record on the season with a 3.67 ERA and a 1.04 whip overall in the year. For the Red Sox tonight, as I said, it'll be Chris Sale on the mound going up against Skubal. Tomorrow, it'll be Brian Bale on the mound for the Red Sox, who is 8-6 on the season with a 3.64 ERA, going up against 25-year-old Tigers right-handed pitcher Matt Manning, who holds a 3-4 record with a 5.06 ERA. And then Sunday, it'll be Cutter Crawford on the mound for the Red Sox, 5-6 record on the year with a 3.8 ERA. Versus the former Red Sox left-handed pitcher in Eduardo Rodriguez, making his return to Fenway for the first time since signing with Detroit in free agency, who is 8-5 on the year with a 2.75 ERA. Crawford, in his last outing, gave up three earned runs with seven hits allowed in three and a third innings on Tuesday night versus Kansas City. Did have six Ks in that game, two walks, and a hit batsman. In that game, though, I really liked the Red Sox lineup. It was Story's return to the lineup, his first game back. He didn't do great, though. But I loved that lineup. Even though the Sox lost 9-3, I love to see a lineup with Jaron Duran, Tristan Casas, Trevor Story, and Alex Rodugo. All my favorite players in the same lineup at the same time. And then a pitcher that I'm a big fan of in Cutter Crawford as well. I'd love to see that lineup. Even though Sox ended up losing 9-3, that's a lineup, though, I'd like to see more in the future with those four guys in the lineup at the same time. Two young talents there in Duran and Casas. Story, obviously a star talent. And then Verdugo, a guy that's been consistent for the Red Sox and a guy I've been a big fan of during his tenure since the Red Sox got him in 2020 with that trade with the Dodgers for Mookie Betts. So... That was a lineup I liked, even though Sox ended up losing. And even though Cutter Crawford had a tough outing, I think he's going to be a big piece of the Red Sox in the future. A guy that can help you out in the middle of the rotation. And a guy that really stepped up for the Red Sox in a time of need. When the Red Sox had Sale, Houck, and Whitlock all hurt, the Red Sox needed somebody to be in that rotation, considering they couldn't have three games a week with an opener. Only two was enough. Two is obviously a lot already. They didn't want to go three games a week with an opener. So Cutter Crawford really found his own next to Paxton and Brian Bayo. And the Red Sox found a way to stay afloat and still be only four games out of the wildcard spot with all of their injuries they've had on the season, especially with their starters going down and going down fast with injuries. And with the Red Sox over the last week, with Trevor Story being back in the lineup, I know a lot of people were excited to see him back in the lineup for the Sox, and that was something I was definitely enthusiastic about. He has struggled in his return, 1-for-11, with a .091 batting average in those three games, with a three forty eight OPS, with seven strikeouts and 11 at-bats. I think he'll be okay, though. I don't think it's time to worry about Trevor Story. He'll get back on track. He hasn't seen Major League pitching since September of 2022. It's almost been a full year since he's been in the Major Leagues. He's just getting back on track, getting a feel for the game again. I think he'll be fine. As for the Sox, they have the second hottest schedule remaining in the game of baseball. They have seven games left against the Astros, seven versus the Baltimore Orioles, five against the Rays, and then three against the Blue Jays left on the year. With that being said, being able to beat those teams can help you gain ground in the American League. It's not easy to have a hard remaining schedule. It's not something that I'm saying, oh, it's a good thing we have a hard remaining schedule left. But the best way to gain ground is to beat those teams ahead of you. And the only way you can beat those teams ahead of you, really, is when you play them head-to-head and in those head-to-head weekend matchups. And the Red Sox can have a lot of opportunities in the last month and a half of the season to get themselves back on track in the American League. Even though there's a lot of games against some tough teams, they're Houston, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and Toronto, 
If you can beat those teams, you can gain ground in the American League. As I said, it's not easy to have that hard of a schedule and be happy about it. But the easiest way to gain ground is beat those teams ahead of you. And the way you can do that easier is by having head-to-head matchups. So now I'm going to switch and talk about some news around the MLB, especially with the MLB playoff landscape shaping out with just about two months left to go. We'll start off and talk about the Los Angeles Angels, a team that's been struggling since the trade deadline. They had 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games, 13-17 and 17 in the last 30 games overall. But luckily, the Angels did just take two of three games against San Francisco. They did blow game one of that series, though. They were up 3-2 to two going into the top of the ninth inning. Ended up surrendering six runs in the top of the ninth, losing that game 8-3. to three. Carlos Estevez was on the mound trying to come in for a save situation. He just blew the game, only recording one out, giving up three hits, two walks, and five earned runs. Ends up picking up the loss in that game and a blown save as well. Brutal and heartbreaking loss there for the Angels in game one of that series. They lost that game for their seventh loss in a row, but they responded in a very good way to win the next two games against San Francisco. Mike Moustakis has stepped up in a huge way for the Angels. Seven home runs with 23 runs batted in, a 285 batting average, and an 814 OPS in 34 games with the Angels. In those Angels' two wins against San Francisco, he was 4-for-7 at the plate with two doubles, a home run, and five runs batted in. He's stepping up at the right time. Another player that's been stepping up for the Angels is Luis Ronjifo, who is hitting 286 in his last 25 games since the All-Star break. He's played in 25 games, so in the second half, a 286 batting average with six home runs and a 950 OPS. He has looked great. The problem with the Angels, though, is it might be too little too late for them to make a run considering where they stand right now in the AL Wildcard race is six and a half games back of Toronto. With that being said, though, there's no point in not trying. You might as well go all in. You might as well try. That's what they did with keeping Shohei Otani and buying at the trade deadline. I know a lot of people are still going to criticize them for the decision to keep Shohei and buy Lucas Giolito at the trade deadline, among other pieces. But the way I started the trade deadline is this. It's your last run with Shohei Otani. If you do trade him, there's basically no chance of getting him back at free agency, even though I did listen to one report from a podcast of someone saying you could still trade him, maybe get him back in free agency. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you were going to trade him and be able to bring him back. I think it was Jim Bowden of The Athletic, who was a former MLB GM. He's the one that made the case that you could trade Shohei and still bring him back in free agency. I don't think that's the case. I don't think they want to trade him and be able to bring him back. And one key thing to think about in this situation is your hindsight is always going to be 2020 vision. You're always going to look back and say, oh, I should have done this or oh, I should have done that, especially when you consider how poor the Angels have played over the last 30 games, being 13 and 17 over the last 30. But this is one thing I noted. When I was talking about the trade deadline, in in my decision to say the Angels should buy, I noted they're going to have a very tough month of August. But the reality of the situation is this. you got to at least try with Shelly Otani. Even though you could trade him and get back prospects in return, if you're only three or four games out of the trade deadline, why not try to make a run? Why not try to make a run? Especially with a lot of their injuries, still being three or four games out is impressive where they were at. Obviously now, six and a half games back, it's a little bit tougher than where they were at a week and a half ago when the trade deadline was around. But regardless... They still went for it and tried. It takes guts to do that. And sometimes in life, you're going to feel miserably. You're going to try to go all in, take the biggest risk, but you're going to feel miserably. But sometimes you're going to take that big risk and you're going to get a big reward. And that's what the Angels went for. And even though some people say that wasn't the smartest decision, they still went for it. And you got to commend them at least for trying to buy. This is a franchise that's been trying to make a run with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the same team, and they failed to do so. They failed to do so during their tenure with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the same team. These two guys deserve to win. The Angels see the time's ticking on Shohei Otani being an Angel. Let's try to go all in and buy. Even though it hasn't really worked out, and there's still some time left for them to get back on track, even if it doesn't work out, at least they tried.
So now I'm going to move on to talking about the Dodgers, who are 68 and 46 on the year now, winning five games in a row and are now 9 and 1 in their last 10 games. The Dodgers are absolutely rolling. Things are really starting to click in LA there for them. They're 21 and 9 in their last 30 games, tied with Baltimore for the best record in baseball over the last 30 games. They just got Clayton Kershaw back on the mound last night, his first start since June 27th. He went five innings last night against Colorado, giving up three hits. One earned run, which was a home run. Four strikeouts, no walks in 67 pitches. The Dodgers needed him back for their rotation. He looked great last night. Very efficient outing there for Kershaw's first outing in a month and a half. 67 pitches in five innings. You'll take that any night. Freddie Freeman has continued his monster second half with an MLB-leading 434 batting average since the All-Star break. Six home runs, 20 runs batted in, a 1275 OPS, and a 517 on base percentage in the second half, which is number one in the game of baseball. It's impossible to get him out when he's locked in, and those are some absurd stats over the last 25 games there from Freeman. He's been great. James Outman's back on track for the Dodgers as well. A 329 batting average in the second half, which is 15th best in the game of baseball. A 489 on base percentage, which is third best in the game of baseball since the All-Star break. He's now up to 255 on the year for batting average with a 788 OPS and 13 home runs in his rookie year. Mookie Betts has raised his batting average to 283 in the season. He has 31 home runs. His career best was last year with 35. He's going to break that rather easily with a month and a half, two months left of the season here. 31 home runs this year, had 35 last year. He's going to break that, as I said, probably within the next month. He has a 960 OPS with 77 runs batted in on the season. Last year at 82, he's going to break that easily as well. Imagine this Dodgers lineup with Shohei Otani if they can get him in free agency. I think they're going to get him in free agency. Imagine you have a lineup of Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Shohei Otani. There's not going to be a better 1-2-3 lineup in the game of baseball. And I've said it before, I think it does come down to the Dodgers, Giants, and Angels for who gets Shohei Otani. I think the Angels still have a shot at them, but I think the biggest suit is, besides the Angels, will be the Dodgers and the Giants. I think the Mets probably aren't going to go out and get him. I think Shohei wants to be on the West Coast. So I think it's going to be between Dodgers, Angels, Giants, Padres, Mariners. We'll see who ends up getting him in free agency and wins a Shohei Otani sweepstakes. I think it's going to come down to those three teams with the Dodgers ending up winning those sweepstakes, in my opinion. The Dodgers, as I said, are rolling as of late. They just took three or four against San Diego and are now 30-7 and seven versus the Padres since August of 2021. That's 30-7 and seven in the regular season since August of 2021. Very impressive. They've owned the Padres in the regular season, despite losing to the Padres, though, last year in the playoffs. In the regular season, though, the Dodgers, like I said, have been finding ways to beat them. I think the Dodgers are going to make a run this year in the postseason. I have them winning right now the NL. I have them beating the Braves in the NLCS. And then I have the Rangers beating the Orioles in the ALCS as of now. I know I did predictions at the All-Star break. I've changed them slightly. I still have the Rangers and the Orioles playing in the ALCS. I still have the Dodgers and the Braves playing in the NLCS. But I've flipped it. I have the Dodgers beating the Braves now in the NLCS. And I have the Rangers beating the Orioles in the ALCS still. So I really only changed the Dodgers beating the Braves. Both of those championship series still the same four teams that I had in my predictions at the All-Star break. So now I'm going to switch gears and talk about another hot team in the game of baseball, and that is the Seattle Mariners, who have won seven games in a row. They have 15-5 in the last 20 games played, which is the best in the MLB. They have 20-10 in the last 30 games played, which is third best in the MLB. They have 62-52 overall, and are just one and a half games back of Toronto for the last wildcard spot in the American League. They just took two of two games against San Diego, and now have a three-game series against the AL best record Baltimore Orioles starting tonight. It'll be a fun series to watch. I think the Orioles end up taking two of three in this series. 
With that being said, Seattle still has a lot of favorable games left on their schedule. They have the fourth easiest schedule left in the game of baseball. They still have seven games against Texas, four against Tampa Bay, and six against Houston. So those are the tough games remaining. But they still have seven against Kansas City, six against Oakland, and three against the White Sox. Those are three opponents you want to play at this point in the season just to get wins while other teams are playing tougher schedules. Julio Rodriguez has heated up in his last 17 games. He holds a 324 batting average in those 17 games with a 608 slugging percentage, a 983 OPS, five home runs, 12 runs batted in, six doubles, and five stolen bases. He's heating up at the right time, as a Seattle Mariners are overall as well. They do have some easy games left. And to make the playoffs, they'll still need to win some of those harder games as well against Baltimore, Texas, and Houston. But I think they made the right decision to do what they did at the trade deadline. They traded Paul Seawald. It sparked a run, and now they're still winning games even without their closer. They will still be able to sell their closer at the highest price, and they're still winning games even without him. So props to Seattle and doing what they did at the trade deadline. They kept Teoscar Hernandez and kept some other pieces there as well. They were aggressive last year getting Luis Castillo, and he's obviously been a big part of this team as well this year. Props to them. We'll see if they can make a postseason push towards the end of September and the start of October. We'll see where they stand at that point. So now I'm going to switch gears and talk about a team that's been very cold as of late, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have lost eight games in a row and are now 57-58 overall. They are 1-9 in their last 10 games played, 4-16 in their last 20 games played, and 7-23 in their last 30 games played. They just lost 3-4 to San Francisco, they lost 3-3 to Minnesota, and lost 2-2 to the Dodgers. That's an epic collapse for a team that led the NL West for 56 days during the regular season. They are now third in the NL West, 11 and a half games back of the Dodgers, five games back of the Giants. They start a series tonight against the Padres, who they play for seven of the next 10 games. Their offense has gone ice cold as of late, averaging 1.87 runs per game in the last eight games played. Eight straight losses, and they're averaging under two runs per game in those eight losses. As for the Padres, they're 55 and 60 overall, 13 and a half games back of the Dodgers in a four and six in the last 10 games played. They are closer to the Rockies in the NL West than they are to the top of the division, Los Angeles Dodgers. They are 13 and a half games back of the Dodgers and only 10 games ahead of the Rockies. They're closer to the Rockies in the standings than they are to the Dodgers. They've lost four games in a row, and I said it at the deadline that I respected their gamble to try to go for the Hail Mary, but I said I think they're going to regret it at the end of the day. I think they'll regret it in the future. I would have sold guys like Blake Snell and Josh Hader since it was too little too late at that point at the trade deadline for them to make a miraculous run and turn things around in a blink. But with that all being said, they're only four and a half games back. Four and a half games back right now of the Miami Marlins for the last wildcard spot in the NL. There are three teams ahead of them, though, for that last spot, but they're still within reach to try to make a run. And even though I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs, they're still within reach. They are still within reach. One thing that's killed the Padres all season, though, that's been the story of their entire season, is their inability to win games that are close. They are 6-18 and in one-run ball games, the worst in the MLB this season. A team that's been very good at winning one-run ball games is the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that's 64-52 and overall in the year, 7-3 and in the last 10 games. In one-run ball games this year, they are 22-15 and overall, fourth-best win percentage in the MLB in one-run ball games. They just took three or four against the Nationals and now face Minnesota for a three-game set. Trey Turner starting to turn things around for them. In his last seven games, he has a hit in all seven games with a 370 batting average over that stretch, a 741 slugging percentage, an 1134 OPS, two home runs, eight runs batted in, four doubles, and a stolen base. Like I said earlier this week, 
I thought Trey Turner would be fine. He's too good of a talent to struggle for the course of the entire season. I thought it'd heat up at some point. He's heating up at the right time for the Phillies as they try to make another postseason run this year in October. So one last team I'm going to mention is the Cincinnati Reds, a team that's been very cold as of late. They are 60-57 overall in the year, a half game back of the last wild card spot in the NL. Like the Diamondbacks, though, both have been cold at the wrong time. They're still in the mix, though, in the NL wild card race. The Reds right now are a half game back of the last wild card spot in the NL. The Diamondbacks are just two and a half games back. So even with the Diamondbacks and the Reds being ice cold as of late, they're still within reach of the NL wild card race. The Reds, though, as I said, 16-57 overall, 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games played. It's kind of impressive, though, that the Diamondbacks can only be two and a half games out and the Reds can only be half a game out with how poor they've been playing as of late. The Reds are averaging 3.28 runs per game in their last seven games played. They just lost three or four to the Cubs, including two blowout losses, with scores being 20-9 in one of the games and 16-6 in another. Then they proceeded to lose three of three to the Washington Nationals at home in Cincinnati and lost two of three to Miami at home in Cincinnati as well. They've been struggling heavily as of late, but now they face Pittsburgh for three games set so they can somewhat get back on track if they win two of three in that series. It'll be fun to see who makes the NL wild card between the Phillies, Giants, Marlins, Reds, Cubs, Diamondbacks, Padres. It's going to be a fun race to follow, just like the same will be in the American League. Right now, four and a half games separate Miami, Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati Reds, Arizona Diamondbacks, and the San Diego Padres. As of today, I'm going to go with the Phillies, Giants, and Cubs all making it as wild card teams. I think the Cubs, with how hot they've been over the last month, I think this team could make a run in the National League. Maybe be this year's Philadelphia Phillies, a team that nobody really expected to make the playoffs halfway through the season. They get hot after the All-Star break, after the trade deadline, start to make a run in September, and then who knows what they do in the playoffs. The Phillies ended up making it all the way to the World Series last year and really heated up, even though they were underdogs in every series. The Cubs might be underdogs in every series as well. That doesn't mean to count them out, though. This team has been making a run. They're a team to watch out for in October. Hopefully, they do end up making the playoffs, as I think it'd be a fun postseason to watch. A team that could have been selling at the trade deadline. They end up choosing to stay where they were and not sell and try to make a postseason run. It's worked out for them. It's worked out for them. They're only a half game back of the last wildcard spot right now in the National League. It'll be a fun one to watch there. And the same thing goes in the American League. Right now, the Blue Jays have the third wildcard spot in the American League. Then the Mariners are one half games back. The Red Sox are four games back. The Yankees are five games back. And the Angels are six and a half games back. It'll be cool to see who makes it in the American League as well. I think the Sox have a chance, though. With Chris Sale being back on the mound tonight, Tana Hoke getting another relief outing in Worcester today, and hopefully Garrett Whitlock being back at some point as well, hopefully in the bullpen where the Red Sox needs some help. I think the Red Sox are capable of making a run in October. I've said it multiple times already, but I think if the Red Sox make the playoffs, they win a series in October, and who knows what happens after that. I'm confident in this Red Sox team, even though some fans probably have fallen off a little bit with how they performed over the last few weeks. I think this team, if they make the playoffs, they are capable. Obviously, they still have a lot of work cut out ahead of them. They still have to make up four games in the American League Wilds Cut Race, but we'll see what they can do. At least they have a shot right now at this point in the season. August 11th, and they still have a shot. Last year at this point, they were probably in similar standing, but nobody really thought they had a chance at making the postseason. This year, it's a little bit different. With their reinforcements coming back, Trevor Story, even though he struggled, it's good to have him back in the lineup, especially defensively. Then you also have... Chris Sale coming back to the mound tonight. Garrett Whitlock, Anton Houck being back at some point. I'm excited to see what this Red Sox team can do in the last month and a half of the season. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. And hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you and take care. I'll see you guys in the next episode.